0: Well, I wanted to tell you about a time in my life that was really, really enjoyable. A time, uh, just one little weekend in particular, in which I had great pleasure and satisfaction and I look back on really fondly. It was uh, actually a weekend at a stranger's house. Someone I'd only met um, just a few hours beforehand. I flew down to Tassie one day to catch up with another uh, fellow pastor and get some um, information on a couple of ways they did things. This was a few years ago. I flew down to Tassie and I met him for the first time at the airport and he took me home and I slept in their living room that night and I woke up that morning in their house. And it was such a beautiful and welcoming time. It was such a pleasure to be there with him and with his family. I woke up in his living room to their Saturday morning sort of breakfast routine of pancakes with maple syrup and bacon of an hour or so on the Xbox with the kids. Really warm and wonderful time. He took me out and we toured the Salamanca markets in Hobart together. Just really beautiful hospitality, just wonderful uh, friendship and love that just blossomed so quickly. That night, they invited around some friends of theirs that they thought I'd get on well with. They had them around for dinner and it was just a fantastic dinner. It was just beautiful. He'd cooked, sort of, we'd talked as they were cooking and preparing. They'd prepped this great big roast. There was just so much food, all these different types of food. There was great wine at dinner. There was great friendship and conversation. There was music playing. There was laughter. It was just a wonderful time. We started a couple of weeks ago a series which we've called Three Pictures, and it's a series that's designed to give us an idea of both who we are and who we want to be. It's three pictures of uh, the church and the way it interacts with the world that will, yeah, give us a direction to head in and also describe who we are. Last time, uh, last time we had a, a picture of Jesus, and we saw the reliability and the preciousness of the word of God. And it's precious because it shows us a picture of Jesus. That's why God's word, as we have it here, is so precious. It highlights and shows us and lets us get to know our Saviour, the Jesus who loves us, who came to meet with us, who leads us, who died for us, and is now risen and reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. We saw a picture of Jesus. And now Tamar's just read this section out of Acts, a sermon of Peter to uh, all these people from all over the nations who have come into Jerusalem, and it's been a pretty hard message. He's told them that they're guilty of rebellion, but that guilt and rebellion's been followed by rescue and forgiveness. And after this sermon, a church has burst into existence. It's incredible. I don't think we're supposed to look at this and go, this is normal, it's supposed to happen every day. It's incredible, something amazing is happening. 3,000 people saved in one day. All of a sudden, there's a church. And we're about to read a bit of a summary statement of what this brand new church has become. And as you read it, As we read it together, I don't want you to read a bunch of commands. A list of things that we have to do and be in order to be faithful. I want you to get a picture, a beautiful picture, a picture of what a church could be, maybe even a dreamlike picture. And at the end of our time today... I want us all to dream of being a bit like this picture, while at the same time being excited and encouraged that God has already made us a lot like this picture. Last time we saw a picture of Jesus, this time I want us to see a picture of us, a beautiful community of worshipping believers. So let's continue reading in Acts We're going to pick it up uh, from verse 42. Chapter 2, verse 42. This is going to be a passage for the day. 3,000 souls were added that day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' day by day, those who were being saved. As we open up this passage, it's really important to know that such a beautiful picture of a wonderful, intimate community, of something that's just extra special and delightful and desirable begins with the picture of Jesus that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Did you notice that? We hear that 3,000 people have just been saved through Jesus, through the message of reconciliation. And the first thing we find them doing is gathering around Jesus. In verse 42, the apostles are still in town. They haven't written down their experiences of Jesus yet in this book that we find. They're still teaching verbally from up the front, telling of his life story like we find in the Gospels that he came to seek and save the lost. They're they're teaching theology. This man who came is more than a man. He's God. He's, He's the exact representation of God, and through him you can know God. They're showing Jesus' character. He's worth following. You too can become his disciples. And they're applying it to people's lives. If you do follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. He is at the core of the Apostles' teaching. And they've devoted themselves, this new church, to the Apostles' teaching. And this word devoted isn't talking about a one-off enthusiasm. Uh, Maybe uh, after a church camp or a weekend away at something special, you've come away feeling especially on fire and excited for something. Has, Has that ever happened to you guys? Uh, certainly, after the last camp, I was really excited about what Richard had to say, encouraging. You go away all fired up, and a week later you've forgotten it. At least that's what happens to me so often. This church is not temporarily fired up. The word they're devoted uh, is talking about a persistent and a continuous devotion to the Apostles' teaching. In fact, all the way through this little passage, all of these words are loaded with the idea that this is a continuous and ongoing set of actions. This is what the church looks like. So they're, they're, they're devoted to their teaching, and yes, this is going to mean that they, they listen carefully to this teaching that we now hold in our hands, but it also means that they're putting it into practice, Being devoted to teaching is more than just listening intentionally. It's devoting, giving yourself over to something, and it's outworkings, the the repercussions of that teaching. We might want to call this a devoted focus. And it's a focus on being just as much as it is on listening and learning. Okay, A focus on being, taking it all in, and letting it change them. Imagine if we think about a focus like this, that you can imagine um, a hug. Have you ever had a... There several different types of hug that we can get. You can get a little, little hug from relatives, a little kiss, something like that. You can get a, a nice relaxing cuddle on the couch with your spouse or your kids or your parents or something like that. And then there's the type of hug maybe where a father and a son have been away from each other for some time and the son comes in the door or the father comes in the door at the end of a a time apart and the little boy just runs flat out towards his dad and he leaps in the air and the dad just catches him with everything he's got. It's a hug that involves the the hands, the arms, the shoulders, every single part of the body. That's the kind of focus, that's the kind of uh, engagement that the the church is having with the apostles' teaching and its outworkings. They're devoted to it, they're grabbing it with everything that they've got. They've grabbed hold of Jesus with both arms and all their hearts. It's changed who they are. As part of this three-part series that we're doing on who we are, We want to have one phrase that we can remember that describes what we're here for. And that phrase is this. What we're here for is we're here being and making disciples of Jesus in Armstrong Creek. That's what we're about. Being and making disciples of Jesus in Armstrong Creek. And we looked at the Jesus part last time why Jesus is so central. And next time, we're going to look at the making disciples part. That's going to be next week. This week, we're looking at being disciples. What's it like to be one? And that's the focus of the apostles here. Gathered around the word of God, listening, taking it in, letting it change them, helping them become something, disciples of Christ. It's going to translate. In fact, we see that it does translate into who they are. Verse 42 says, yes, they're devoted to teaching, but also to being. It lists three more things that they're devoted to, the outworkings of the teaching. And the first one is fellowship, which is a uniquely Christian word. We don't like to use it um, in front of uh, people who don't understand that type of vocabulary because it's a, a really loaded word, isn't it? It's talking about a family-type relationship. It's talking about a community of love and enjoyment of each other. A community, of fellowship that they're devoted to. They're also devoted to the breaking of bread, hospitality, having people in your homes, eating food together. Maybe not as formal as hospitality because this is Fellowship hospitality, it's informal, comfortable, enjoyable, relaxed, warm. They're also devoted to prayer. This is a community gathering around the word of God, enjoying one another, excited about being together, praying together, loving one another. their devotion, their focus on the Word of God has transformed them from 3,000 ordinary people into a church, into a beautiful and wonderful church. I'm not surprised that in the next verse there's a sense of reverent awe. God's doing something to them. He's changing them. This faith that they have isn't something that just sits off to the side, that's only concerned with a Sunday morning, on on the Sunday mornings in which you can get out of bed or, or set aside other things. It's a real relationship with Jesus that has really rocked the boat in their lives. It's fundamentally changed them. And as if that wasn't significant enough, the miracles that we read about Jesus doing all the time when he was with us on earth, and now still being done by God through the apostles as they're walking around. He's still doing those miracles. There's a real sense that in no way has Jesus left the church. He's active in the church spiritually and even physically through his awesome power. This picture that we have of us begins with a picture of Jesus. Jesus and it becomes a picture of a community. See, a vibrant community of loving action is what flows from a life centred on God's word. That's what you're going to get out if you're focused and centred on God's word. I wonder if we really understand these days, uh, in our culture, what community can be. We used to live in small towns. Three or four generations staying together in one place. You used to know everyone just about in the town. You knew them well. Children weren't something that stayed in one spot in one house and knew one group of people well. They were something that had the, the responsibility was shared for in many ways. The town looked after its own. You would have neighbours, villagers, townsfolk all looking after and caring for each other. You protected with each other. You traded with each other. You cared for one another. And I'm certainly not saying that everything was perfect back then, but sometimes it seems, doesn't it, that the closer we build our houses together, the more people we bring together, the higher the fences and the walls go and the greater the, the emotional distance between each other. Complaints between neighbours are now handled by the police. It's the first place you go to. Even the gossip is not done in person. It's done by Facebook. I must admit, I read about this community that's here in Acts, and I want it. I desire it. Do you find it attractive? Look at what's in it. Look at what this community is. They're unified. Their faith has given them a special foundation that's now a central part of each one of their lives. It's the biggest and most important focus of their lives and everything else has now become secondary. Not unimportant, not worthless, but everything else has become secondary so that they can legitimately say in verse 44 that they have all things in common. All the big stuff they share intellectually, emotionally, spiritually with one another. They're all together on this. And it's brought them a unity that rarely happens when cultures mix. Have you, have you had cultural issues before with someone? Cultural boundaries things that you don't understand about each other, different ways of doing things, they're often the first thing that pops up. You put cultures together, you don't always get a melting pot, you often just get a fight and a clash. This has given them unity, though. It's taken away, this foundation has taken away the old priorities of life. They're no longer about getting ahead, acquiring junk, building wealth. Instead, they've replaced it with something else that they've become. Love. Just like there are many different ways we can have a hug, there are many different types of love, aren't there? Love can be something uh, quickly and easily said. Love can be something that's uh, not really meant, but that's just repeated. Love can be shallow. This is not a shallow love. Have you had that in the church? Tell someone about a great need of yours, a disaster that's happened in your life, and people say, I'll pray for you. I mean, great. People say, I hope God prompts you, I prompt someone to help you. Wonderful. Or even, maybe they're really generous, really loving, and they say, here's 50 bucks to help out with your troubles. The love that we see here is on a completely different scale. People are selling properties. Instead of hoarding their junk, they're selling it for the privilege of helping those they love. There's real sacrifice here. And maybe it's even such sacrifice and such love that it scares us a little bit as we read it. Because there's the question, isn't there, if this is a beautiful and a good picture, if this is happening in the church and it's described in glowing terms, then are we we supposed to be getting rid of our property? Are we supposed to be selling everything that we have? Are we supposed to be loving and sacrificing for each other in that type of way? They love each other so much it scares us. It's, it certainly scares me. They're not only unified, they're not only filled with love, they're happy to be with be together in verse 46. You don't always get this in a church either, do you? Happy to be with each other. They're in each other's homes. They're sharing food with glad and generous hearts. They go to the temple all the time with each other. And maybe it's not the whole church every week. There's probably um, dozens, if not Hundreds of house churches meeting all over the city uh, in this church in Jerusalem. So it might not look quite the same as we think about it, but they're hanging out together. There are biological families who don't want to hang out together. Have you seen one of these? I saw one of these this week. I went into a guy's house. um, Wasn't the most pleasant house I'd been into. And... um, The wrong name was on on the bill, and he said, oh yeah, that's dad's name, we just haven't changed it. Uh, He died 27 years ago, thank God. (laughs) There are biological families who hate being together. People who have shared decades with with each other who can no longer stand each other. My uncle left his home when he was 16 years old, wasn't seen again, And I never saw him until my early 20s. Just gone. This is an extraordinary community. They're not fighting and arguing, but together, focused in one direction. They're no longer striving to be top of the pile of the economy. They're striving for each other, for the people of God. They're not seeking me time all the time. They're seeking time with other believers because they love each other. And it's an attractive community, isn't it? I find it attractive. It's it's enjoying even the favour of the people who are outside the community. People are looking at it and going, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty good. It's growing. People are being added to it day by day. And here's the thing. Here's the thing maybe that we want to learn out of this. The church is not a duty of the people of God. The church is the elixir of life for believers. This is our food, our drink, this is our sustenance, this is what we love. We come here not out of obligation, but because this is God's gift to us. Now don't get me wrong, Hebrews 10.26 commands us to keep meeting together, it does tell us that. But it's just about the only part of the Bible that's that direct. Because in a healthy church, in a good church, in a proper church, wh- why would you need to command this thing? If it's looking like this, no one needs to command anyone to turn up. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. This this is one of the most attractive things I've ever read about. I read this and it gets my heart racing. Imagine a community that's filled with these types of relationships. Now, I don't want to undo anything that I've said, but there are some things to be cautious about when we dream of a community like this. Let me run through a couple. This type of picture can be a recipe for resentment and burnout if it's forced. Okay, if we try too hard to become this, it can be a recipe for resentment and burnout. This type of community is good if it genuinely flows out of our love for Jesus, but it's disaster if it's commanded by leadership or forced by people trying desperately hard to build intimacy, or if it's driven by guilt. This is a voluntary, a voluntary way of life. It's not forcing intimacy or generosity or attendance. We don't command people to be emotionally open or fiscally generous, theologically unified because those things wound and hurt and stunt the growth of the church. Another thing to be cautious about is that this idea of a beautiful community doesn't mean that there's no such thing as individuality. So there have been churches out there, I don't know if you've heard of them, that say, we want to be this. We're going to share everything. Nobody has anything that belongs to them anymore. We pool all our resources We share everything. We only make decisions corporately together. Nobody is in charge of their own lives anymore. We are a community. But there is such a thing as being too close, too dependent, a place where intimacy becomes uncomfortable. Privacy is important, and this passage is not arguing that it isn't. In a church in the stage that we're at, there can easily be no place to retreat. Maybe some of you experience this. You come in and everything that you do is visible to everyone. There's not that many people to know, so everyone knows everything about just about everyone. And not in a gossipy way, I, I hope, but just an exhausting way. Sometimes we need to hide a bit. Sometimes we need to be able to say that we're okay when we're not okay and not be pushed into more. This doesn't mean there's no such thing as individuality. The last thing I want to be cautious about is the idea that this community that we're seeing here should not be a closed or an inward community. It's not them versus us. Have you heard that relationship, that that idea in churches before? In Christian circles you'll often hear about the idea of Christians and the world. The world is almost always in capitals, the capital T, capital W, you can almost hear it as it comes across. There's Christians and then there's the world. And it's sort of biblical language to some extent because the church has been rescued by Jesus And it's filled with people who want to be his disciples and is therefore quite different and quite separate from the rest of the culture in which we live in. But this is a community that's facing outwards. It's saying, we love you. We have what you need. We can point you towards a beautiful saviour. Come join us. Experience the saviour. Come and taste eternity. And that's because this picture begins with Jesus and it becomes a community. And our last point is that this community is also a taste of heaven. It's a taste of heaven. And I'm being honest when I say this. That's exactly what we're looking at here. It's where our thinking should be going when we start to read this little section. Think about it. People, reread the passage, people are coming from all tongues and all cultures. They've gathered in Jerusalem, from all over the world. They've come together, people who have been rescued, as Tamar read, and changed by Jesus. They're all gathered together. They're gathered together around Jesus regularly, day by day, week by week. They're gathered as friends, as brothers, as family. They're not arguing. They're together in peaceful unity. And as they see Jesus clearly, a sense of awe is building. They've thrown off the shackles of the rat race, seeking to accumulate property and belongings and stuff. And in verse 46, they're regularly drinking, partaking from the place of spiritual refreshment, the temple, the church, the place where God is. And what happens? They're overflowing with thanks and praise and joy, which is the picture we're given, isn't it? Of heaven. You read Revelation, this unbelievably massive group of people all coming together from all nations, tribes and tongues. Tongues gathered around the throne, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, their Saviour. Together, united, filled with love, and they're all worshipping with all their hearts. Jesus, the one they love, and he's there with them, the church. If you don't love this picture of the church that we read here, you're going to have a hard time in heaven. You really are. Because the church is a foretaste of heaven. Community of God's people gathered around the sun in worship. It's beautiful and it's good, and we can have a taste of it now. But before we get too carried away, we have to remember not to idolise this church here either. Because in a few chapters time, you go read um, the end of chapter 4 and the start of chapter 5, you'll see that there are still problems, big problems. There's pride, there's lies, there's bickering in some churches. You read about the problems in Revelation, in uh, Galatians, in Ephesians. All throughout the church there are problems. There's gross sin in some churches. There's disunity and fighting over who the best pastor is. There's theological disagreements that come to the surface. We're not to idolize something that is not yet heaven. And we're not to expect something here at the hub that is heaven. We don't look at rose-colored glasses about and, and, and a longing about a time gone past. We, it's, It's not helpful to look back and say, oh, if only God was still doing miracles through the apostles on a daily basis like he was back then. If only we could go back to this type of church. If only the church today was as perfect as it was back then. Because it was good, but it wasn't perfect. And it's still good, even though we're not perfect We have the same gift from God today as we did back then, a gift of people gathered around Jesus and being changed by him, worshipping him in joy and in love, enjoying the gift of Christian community he's given us, loving, encouraging one another as we wait for the day when Jesus takes the church, his bride, and makes her his own, washes her clean, never to again be soiled. We will one day stream into Jerusalem together. I once had someone tell me it was a bit like a footy match. If you've seen the footy in Melbourne, you go into a Southern Cross station just before the game, and people are arriving from trains from all the nations or all the countryside around and they're wearing their colours of their team and they're singing the songs. They're excited to come together and worship their sport. And here we have a picture of the nations streaming in, the people of God pulling into heaven. They've got their Jesus colours on. They've got songs on their lips. They're worshipping together, excited about gathering around their King. And it's a beautiful and wonderful picture. It's a picture of us, the people of God. And it's both who we are and who we dream of being each week as we live here in Armstrong Creek. Let's pray. Lord God, we do long for the day in which this picture will become complete the day in which you take your bride, the church, in your arms, in which your bride is there with you every day, in which we have free and open access, in which we see your face, in which sin is no more and we can gather without any imperfections. But Lord, we thank you that today, here and now, you have given us a wonderful community of your people, a church that is unified, a church that loves, a church that's gathered around your son. But we pray that as we grow, you would continue to cause us to be this church. Keep us unified, Lord. Keep us together. Keep us focused and loving your son. And Lord, maybe we we'll are be more and more every day, a little bit more like that picture of us that will be in heaven. Amen.